I'm going to just go ahead and read from Acts chapter 1, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to start in verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> Lord, I pray your word would accomplish exactly what you wanted to accomplish this morning. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, things pertaining to his church that he was going to establish through this little group that he was calling to himself. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses um, to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And now, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, I, I, for some reason I was reading that, and I, I just was trying to visualize their faces. What was that like? And an angel spoke and got their attention. Hey! Why are you looking up? <laughs> Hold on, I lost my spot here. Two men stood by, by them in white power. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot, he was gone. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And we, we know from further down, there was about 120 in that room. What was that like in that room? You think there was expectation? Do you? They just watched Jesus, or I should say they spent 40 days with someone they watched crucified. They knew, understood, was dead, buried for three days, and then they hung out with him for 40 days. They ate with him. He taught them things. He imparted, he breathed the spirit into them. What was it like for them when they sat and waited in anticipation of what he promised? Thinking about, talking about all that had happened, thinking about what lies ahead. What does this mean? Witnesses, 
unto the end of the world. What does it mean, power from on high? What, what went on? What was that atmosphere like? I think it was just like normal church. Should be. That's what I think. Be honest with you. As I prayed for today, one word kept coming to me. Expectation. 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 Are my people expectantly looking to me? Do they really expect me to act and to do above and beyond what they're praying for, what they, they, they're weighed down with cares maybe, or, or maybe what I've called them to do, whatever it is. And as we were worshiping, I wanted to yell it out to you, God has an anointing. God has a gift for every one of you to fulfill everything he has called you to do. And it doesn't mean everyone will be an evangelist, a pastor. He has an anointing for a mom. He has an anointing for a dad. He has an anointing for you at work. He has an anointing for you wherever you are to be a light and to be a witness of the gospel and what Jesus Christ came to the earth to do. And he's called all of us to look to him expectantly, to believe him for what we don't have in ourselves. And these 120, I know at least the disciples, all failed. They all went through a, a period of severe testing and sifting and a removal of anything they could put their trust in especially themselves, other than God. Because they all trusted and believed that they could walk with Jesus, that they could die with Jesus. But they had to learn something through trials and sifting that everything they needed had to come from God. So as I'm praying, as I'm looking at this upper room and just thinking about what it was like and the expectancy that was there and then what they eventually experienced. And maybe I, I think about this, you know, like what do they talk in heaven about it? Like, man, we could have never imagined what God was going to do. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? You know, and, and maybe they're praying for us. Man, where, where are those? Are there still people down there that are believing him like we did and, and that, that they could work through them the way they worked through us? Are there anybody else that still look to God expectantly? So I want to talk about expectant faith. And as I was Looking at this subject, I looked down and I saw a book that someone gave me. It's so interesting how things come into your hands. An Amish guy in Pennsylvania says, hey, I thought you'd be interested in this book. And, and it's actually signed by Julio. And I'm like, Julio Rubel? I said, I know his wife. We ministered with her in Cali, Colombia. I stayed at her house. She told me all about her husband, who was this famous evangelist in South America that was martyred at 42 years old. He's like, oh, you know, I don't know why, but I felt like I should give you this book. So I looked down last night, and there was the book. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to start reading that. And I read half of it last night. And I began to reflect and think about like all the places we were and not thinking about Hawaii, just all the places we've been and all the experiences, all the things we've seen. I was thinking about you guys, you know, why, God, why did we experience what we experienced? See the miracles, see God move, see, you know, witches come down to an altar and get get totally saved. Little kids falling out under the power of God. God, why did you let us experience that? 
Then I think about my own testimony, the miracles he's done in my life. And there's so many testimonies in here. Have we forgotten the miracle, the greatest miracle of salvation, the greatest miracle of when he totally sets us free? That is a miracle when God gets a hold of a human being that is bent or hell-bent towards hell. It's a miracle. So I'm going to read just a couple of things out of here. And it was cool reading it because she was sh would share these stories with me when I stayed at her house. But some stuff I didn't know. So I'm going to read this just as an example for all of you that think God can't use you. Okay? Now, again, God used this guy in pff, just crazy. He's not calling all of us. So you can't say, oh, well, then that's what I want to be. No, God called him. He could handle it. He was martyred for it. And you read later on in the book, he was crucified in the flesh. I mean, God took everything. It cost him to walk in this anointing. Okay? So don't be too quick to say, oh, I want to be used like that. But I, I still want to encourage you. God wants you to believe. So he's newly saved, okay? He's just gotten saved. And he goes back to the auditorium where he got saved, where a famous healing evangelist was having meetings. And he got there late. He couldn't get in. So he's in an overflow room with a bunch of people with crutches and in wheelchairs. And, and so this is the account. He so says, he says, as I waited, as I stood there, the Lord spoke to me. He said, get up on a chair and start preaching. What? He goes, I had long hair. I was wearing a wrinkled Mexican shirt, old jeans. I looked like a weirdo. After struggling a little, I responded to his promptings, and I stood up and I said, people, what makes us think God is limited to that wall? If God is healing inside, he certainly is able to heal outside. Would anyone like me to pray for you? <laughs> they looked at me with awe, but no one said a word. As I stepped down from the chair, an elderly, deformed man, suffering with arthritis, shouted from a distance. It made me think of blind Bartimaeus. I don't know what got in that guy, but something got in him. Jesus is here too. He's not just in there. He's here. And he said, pray for me. And I felt impressed to have him come to the place where God had told me to stand. With great pain and effort, he slowly made his way through the crowd where I was. As everyone's eyes turned toward me, I became frightened. I closed my eyes and I began to pray. As my hands reached for the man, my prayer was interrupted by his shout. He threw away his cane. He shouted, hallelujah, I'm healed. And with that, he began running around. As this took place, pandemonium broke out. About 40 other people followed with incredible healings. A lady with skin cancer, another with a neck collar, many others with all sorts of diseases came asking for prayer and were healed. The ushers who heard the commotion and peeked through the doors became concerned. And they went and told the speaker inside, what, you know, if they should stop it. And she's like, no, just let them keep doing what he's doing. So who's here ready to believe God that he could use you in your situation, whatever that is? That's just one example. I'm, I'm going to share some other things with you, but he got a prompting from the Holy Spirit, and he expected God to move. He knew, I can't do this. But he expected God to do what he couldn't do, and God did it. And it started because there was one man in the crowd that believed it. So, does that describe how we come to God? Does that describe how we come to church? Do we come with that expectancy that God's going to move. I don't know what he's going to do. I, I don't care if I, ha I don't see it. I know God's going to move. God's going to do miracles today at church. 
and I am going to church expectantly. I am going to excited to see what God is going to do. I'm going to be open to however he wants to use me. I'm going to believe God. And it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. It doesn't matter if I failed last week. I'm going to believe God that when I go to church today, he's going to do a miracle, whether it's in me or somebody else. Do we come to church like that? God wants us to. He wants us to come to church that way. It says in Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. In other words, their minds, their affections, their desires, their wishes, they were all concentrated on one thing. Jesus and what he promised. They all understood it's him. It's him, and it's him who has what we need. It's him we're looking to. And we're not moving from this place until he answers what he promised. And they were going after God together. And there's something about when, when people get together, expect it like that, believe in God, the blessing's there. When that kind of unity is there and it's not about a person, let me tell you something, there were no superstars there. There was no one important there. They were all leveled. They were all on the same playing field. They were all like beggars before God. They were all in the same place, looking to him, not looking to anything else, understanding we need what he has. And we're not going from this place until he gives it to us. We need to pray like that. We need to lay hold of God like that. What we need today is to recapture the essence of the upper room. That's what we need. We need to have places where we can gather together in prayer, in worship, just like the early Christians did with a God expectancy. Do we always come expecting God's presence? Do you always come expecting the Holy Spirit to move? And I was talking to someone yesterday, you know, we want to be careful that we don't get in our minds what it should look like because then we might be let down. We just got to trust the Lord that even if we don't see, he was there, he was working because he's faithful. I don't have to see to believe. So I want to encourage you have an expectant heart when you come to meeting, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you gather together in other places. You should always, we should always be looking to God with an expecting heart, expecting God to supply and give us what we need in whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever he brings, whatever need he brings our way. We should never feel like we don't have what that person needs, because we do. It's the one in us. It's Jesus. We have Jesus. I don't have personally what they need, but I have Jesus. I have what Jesus has given me. So I always have what others need because I have Jesus. So there's usually three kinds of people. Um, there's those with high expectations. So do we have any here today with high expectations? Ready to spend time with God? Ready to receive with him? Ready to have a deeper relationship? Ready to listen? God, what do you want to say to me? Ready to be corrected? Ready to be healed, made whole? Ready to be filled? Ready to be used by God? What would happen if, like Julio, we were a little more open to promptings of the Holy Spirit and really believed them? and stepped out in faith when God said, go over there and pray for that person or go and share a word or, you know, like Brian did while we were singing, go ahead and, and say this phrase over and over again. I want to speak to the people. What would happen if we just followed those little promptings of the Holy Spirit and stepped out in faith and believed God to use us? He would be a lot more evident 
he would be able to do so much more in our midst. Some come with little expectation. They come in the presence of God with little expectation. Not remembering that God is not limited and, and can do what seems impossible. And I get that. I, I, listen, I come in here like that sometimes. Maybe because I'm going through it or maybe because I just feel a certain way. Or there's a situation I've been dealing with that just seems like it's getting worse. So I come in with not high expectations. That happens sometimes. But you know what? We can encourage one another. We can testify and maybe bring someone's expectations up a little. That's why this is so important. Then there's others that they have no expectation at all. They just come to church. They're like a stone. You could pour water. I don't care how many times you pour water on a stone. You crack that stone open, there's no water inside. It's because they're not open. They're not open to God. They're not sincere. And sometimes God's got to come with a hammer and break that rock, and he'll do that. But wouldn't it be better to come to church open at least so that water might come and refresh and you might taste and see that the Lord is good? So what do we learn from those in the upper room? Well, one thing I shared briefly on is I like to call it their own spiritual crucifixion. And basically that's God sifting. That's God bringing the cross into our life, teaching us how to suffer in the flesh, getting us to the place where we understand we're weak, where we understand we need him. Really that place of poverty. And that's where, like I said earlier, they all were there. They all understood. They all were already experiencing the sifting, the trials, the fire that God brings us through to refine our faith. And that's what God is doing in a lot of your lives. I heard some testimonies the other night of people saying, I just want to die. That's bad. But I go through that. You know, you just want to die. I don't want to deal with this no more. I'm tired of this. Trial after trial. But it's God. It's coming through his hand. It's him. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your expectations off yourself, off that situation, off this or off that. He's trying to get your expectations on him. He's waiting for you to turn to him. He's waiting for you to just rely and trust on his grace because you can't do this without him. Whatever it is, whatever is overwhelming you, God wants you to turn to him. He wants you to look to him just like they did in the upper room for his power and for his grace to do what he's called you to do. So they went through that place. And when we see in Acts verses 1 through 3, another aspect, it says... He presented them also himself after, alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. They spent time with a resurrected Jesus. Do you spend time with a resurrected Jesus or a crucified Jesus? Which one do you spend time with? The Jesus who just lived on the earth for 30-something years? Or do you spend time with the resurrected Jesus that's at the right hand of the Father? Yes. Who are you spending time with? They spent time with the resurrected Jesus. They heard his words. He instructed them. He imparted things to them that a risen Savior, because of what he went through, was able to do. And he was preparing them for greater things. And I believe that's what he's doing for us. He's preparing all of us for greater things. I believe we are much like the early church. Now, around the world, um, they're already living in what the early church had to deal with. We haven't had to really deal with persecution or the suffering 
that the early church had to deal with. We really don't understand a whole lot what that's like. So that's why God can't do much here. It, it's like the people in Jesus' hometown, you know, there just wasn't a lot of faith and he couldn't do much there because, you know, it's just Jesus. It's the son of Joseph, you know. Who's he? We bring God down to a level that he never intended to be in his people. Those in the upper room understood who Jesus was. He was a resurrected Savior. He wasn't just the Jesus we hung out that was from Nazareth. He was the resurrected Christ. He was God in the flesh. He was at the right hand of the power of God. They understood who they were looking to. They understood whose words they were listening to. They understood who they were hanging out with. And so we have to spend time with the resurrected Jesus because they believed, they knew who Jesus was. Again, you won't have expectant faith if you're not spending time with the resurrected Jesus. That's why spending time in God's word, spending time with other believers that are living in that expectancy, reading stories of others that had that expectant faith, I would encourage you to do that. It increases your faith. Remembering all the things God has done in your life. I, I know there's many of you in here that understand the greatness of God. He, like I said earlier, he's done miracles in, in many of your lives. And we have to remind ourselves. That's what what God was helping me do as I was thinking about our time in Colombia and Hawaii and all the other places we were in and all the experiences we had and all the things we've been through, it was God reminding, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what I could do? Have you forgotten when this happened and that happened? Have you forgotten what happened over here, what I did for that person? And the more you think about that, the more you remind yourself of who God is, what he's done, what he's done for me, what he's done for others, what he can do what he does in other places, what he's promised us in his word. Guess what happens? You start believing him. You start understanding he can do anything. And why am I looking to the methods of man or trusting in myself or looking at my circumstances when I got a God who is the God of the impossible? Isn't that what he was saying? All things are possible. All things are possible. That was God saying to you, all things are possible. In Mark 6, it says, when he went and came to his own country, his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. They said, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Hoses, uh, and uh, Judas, and Simon? And are not these his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And, you know, I can almost say it this way. Those that just get comfortable with him and bring him down to their level, and that's what we do sometimes. We bring Jesus down to our level instead of holding him up as the exalted Christ that he is. And it says he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, he healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And I don't want God to look at me and marvel at my unbelief. And I'll be honest with you guys. I've struggled with unbelief. I think we all have, right? And, and we need to start praying and believing God to help us with our unbelief and, and to start believing him. And it's going to come, like I said, doing those things I shared earlier. We're going to have to make an effort to get our eyes on him, to consider him, to spend time with him. Because we're going to need faith. We're going to need this kind of faith in the days we're coming into. God is preparing us. He is preparing us. 
just like he was preparing his disciples. It's interesting, Mark ends the chapter by describing the miracles accomplished by Jesus. It says in verse 53 in that same chapter, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gisenerit and anchored there, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. They ran through that whole surrounding region. They began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace. They begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. So it says they recognized him, and they ran through the region. How did they recognize him? It says they recognized him, or... I guess they heard the testimonies about Jesus and they simply believe the reports. That's the guy I've been hearing about. Could it be the Messiah? I heard about the things he's been doing. And when they recognized and they knew it was him, they acted on it. They ran. They ran. They, they went to find everyone they could that needed a touch from God so they could bring them to Jesus. Their expected faith caused them to run, carrying those who were sick, just like those four men that carried that guy and broke through the roof and let their friend down. Why? Jesus is in town. Did you hear who's in town? We got to get our friend to Jesus. We should be that way with our neighbors, with our family members, with our children. We got to get them to Jesus. Jesus has what they need. Jesus can do what's impossible in their life. That's what prayer, a lot of prayer is bearing and carrying people to God. But we got to pray with expectancy that God's going to answer prayer. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter how hard it seems. My expectations in God, it's not in man. It's not in circumstance. It's not in even my own ability. It's in God. I know what he can do. Their expected faith caused action. Lastly, they did what Jesus said. It says, they went into the upper room. It says, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And we know from account in the book of Acts, they just didn't do it until the Holy Spirit came, they continually did it. Every time they came together, it was like that. Every time we come together, it should be like that. A house of prayer, looking to God expectantly, coming together excited, believing God's going to move in our midst, believing God when we leave here is going to use us. He's going to empower us, give us boldness to go out and share the gospel. That was what it was all about sitting under the teaching of the word, learning what Jesus had and wanted for us and wanted to do through us. They came with excitement. Even though they were suffering, even though they knew many of them would cost their lives, they looked forward to it. And they did it regularly. Expectation demands action. We can't just say we believe and not take action. An expectant farmer will prepare the land. He'll plant the seeds. He'll water the plants. He'll weed the crops, patiently waiting, expecting a harvest. We're expecting a harvest. We're expecting a harvest in Meadowview. We're expecting a harvest at the council. We're expecting a harvest in our communities, where we live, in our families, right? Are we? We're expecting a harvest. We're expecting God to save souls, right? Does it just mean we sit around and do nothing? No. We act on what we believe. An expectant mother will make sure she eats properly, right? She'll handle herself with care and expectation of the baby. 
When we expect a visitor, what are we going to do? We're going to make all preparations to receive the visitor. And I think of service that way sometimes, like we are coming together in the presence of a king. We are coming together in the presence of God. How do we prepare ourselves for that? This guest that comes into our midst, how do we prepare ourselves for that? God is looking for us to step out in faith that makes us look crazy. Now, I'm going to read you a testimony. This is from uh, George Mueller, a man who fed thousands and thousands of orphans, and uh, the list goes on and on. And he never asked anyone for anything. God just provided. He really had faith. But it says uh, George Mueller once made a commitment to speak in Canada. And while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, his ship ran into a dense fog bank and had to stop. Another evangelist named Charles Ingalls uh, made the same trip a few weeks later, and he heard the story from the ship's captain. Mueller made his way to the wheelhouse and said, I have come to tell you I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. I have never broken an engagement in 50, 50 years. The re captain replied that he could do nothing in light of the bad weather. Let us go down to the chart room and pray, Mueller said. As the captain told the story, he said, I looked at the man of God and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could the man have come from? That's what happens. People think you're crazy. I want people to think I'm crazy. I want that kind of faith. Do you know how dense this fog is? You know, this is an experienced captain. He knows his stuff. What are you talking about? Never heard of such a thing. No, Mueller replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. That's the kind of faith we need. That's what God's looking for no matter what our circumstances are. So Mueller prayed for the fog to lift in five minutes. The captain asked if he should pray, and Mueller said, nope, don't worry about it, God's already answered. There's no need to pray. Within moments, the fog was gone, and they were on their way. Again, our faith in God should never be dictated by our circumstances. Smith Wigglesworth, a 20th century healing evangelist known for his strong faith in God's promises, said, God rejoices when we manifest a faith that lays hold him and his word. C.H. Spurgeon said, every promise of scripture is a writing of God which may be pleaded before him with this reasonable request. Do as you have said. The creator, the creator will not cheat his creature who depends upon his truth. And far more, the heavenly father will not break his word to his own child. Remember the word to your servant on which you have caused me to hope is the most prevalent pleading. It's a double argument. It's your word. Will you not keep it? Why have you spoken it if you will not make it good? You have caused me to hope in it. Will you disappoint the hope which you yourself have created in me? I kind of talked to God a little bit about that this morning. I was like, Lord, you're the one. You're the one that put this in me. This didn't come from me. You're the one that keeps bringing it up over and over and over again. So you got to do what you said. And I, first, I keep telling these people about it. This is about your namesake, God. This is about your glory. It's not about me. You understand that? It's about his glory. It's about his namesake. It has nothing to do with us. Because all of it points to him. 
Like I said earlier, there was no one great in that upper room. It was him. Right? What it be? I don't have, it's Jesus. It's not me. It's the one we look to expectantly. It's him. It's him. I'm going to read another testimony. He was uh, in a lot of countries that were very communist. Um, a lot of people were killed or imprisoned. And so he was being interrogated in one country. And uh, they, so they're interrogating. And trust me, they're not pleasant. We've been in some countries, and they're mean. They're nasty. They hate you. It's the spirit of the devil in them. They've been taken captive by the devil. They hate your guts. They hate what you're doing. And so they're questioning him. Why did the multitudes come to hear you? Is it true you heal? Finally, a short, deformed, frightening little man was brought to us. He was used by the police to break up demonstrations. He was a mentally retarded deaf mute. Police would use him as the last resort if their tear gas and police dogs failed. They would send him into crowds with a stick where he would whirl it around, sometimes cracking skulls, breaking up the crowd. It sounds like the demoniac, right? Definitely demon-possessed. So he puts him in front of me so I would heal him. Perhaps they were hoping for a little accident. He stood growling like an animal just a few free feet in front of me with his stick at his side. It was my 13th day of fasting, and now I understood why. My life was in imminent danger. Heal him, they demanded. And I stood pray praying within, Lord, what shall I do? That's probably what I would say. God, what do, you, what do I do? The Spirit gently led me to lay my hands on the man's head. In the natural... It could have been my death. I looked straight into his eyes. I moved toward him. I placed my hands on his head. He stopped growling as the power of God flowed through his body. The expression on his face changed, and the spirit whispered to me, he's healed. The 13 days of fasting helped me be sensitive to the Lord's leading. There's something about fasting and prayer. This kind only comes out through fasting and prayer. And that fasting and prayer creates faith. He was ready to believe God. And so he had to explain to the guards, like, he's not going to know how to speak because he hasn't heard his whole life. So they did all these things to make sure he could actually hear, and he could. And so one of the guards seemingly furiated, infuriated, said, come with me. And he had his pistol, and he brought him into a secluded room. Usually when they did this, they would shoot you. And so he's thinking, that's it. I'm dead. So the, the officer leads him to the bath, uh, uh, a bathroom Sorry, in the police headquarters. I thought, this is the end. As he closed the door behind us, he took off his hat, and his eyes filled with tears. He said, pray for me. I believe. That's what we need. That was a man taken captive by the devil. And he saw God is real. No one but God could have did that. My eyes also filled with tears as I laid my hands on him and prayed. He was a high-ranking Ecuadorian police officer. To this day, I could see his elegant uniform, his tears, the expression on his face. He regained his composure. He opened the door, changed the tone of his voice, and gruffly ordered, get out of here. And then he winked at me. This was a sign from the Lord saying, your life has been spared. It was by his mercy and grace. Why not, Lord? See, this power in testimony.
Marcus called me the other day, um, all excited. <laughs> he said, the spirit's moving. What's going on, dude? This guy at work, struggling with the same thing I was struggling with. And I, I was able to tell him how God set me free. And he was even on the same medication. And he's going on and on and on. And I just said, see? <laughs> he's using you already. There's power in testimony. There's power in testimony. We need to be sharing and encouraging one another. Letting people know what God can do. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Jesus. Every testimony about God's prayer, all the miracles, releases a realm of heaven. It's like heaven comes down and expectant faith arises. I used to feel that way when I would sit and talk with Ruth, his wife. I'll never forget one day just rocking on a, a hammock in her house, and she's just telling me all the stories. This was after he was martyred. And how they would be in the jungle, and uh, there'd be no food, and they'd have all these people, and they would just pray, and food would appear. And when he prayed, all the butterflies would come around. And just story after story after story. Just incredible. And, and you'd, you'd leave there like, okay, like, God, you, you can do anything. But yet he was martyred. He was martyred. His daughter watched her father shot down. But after his martyrdom, revival broke out and the whole city changed. I'll never forget what his daughters told me. They came to the States to go to Christian Bible school and they couldn't handle it. Because to them, dying for Christ, being martyred was an honor. And when they got around the Christian girls here in the colleges and heard the things they talked about, they couldn't understand how they were Christians. They, they, they just didn't understand it. And they, I remember his daughter saying, like, she was hoping one day she could be martyred like her dad. Where's our expectation? What, where are our expectations? The, they understood that in the upper room. They understood this is going to mean our death, probably. But it's worth it. And God's called us to it. And he's going to give us something supernatural. That even though we suffer, even though we might be thrown into prison, he's going to work miracles. Many souls are going to come into the kingdom. Now, they didn't know that beforehand, but yet there was a promise. And I'm sure while it was happening, then the more it happened, they just rejoiced. It didn't matter. That's what God is preparing us for, I'm telling you. He's trying to prepare us now to believe him, to have that same kind of expectation. God is trustworthy. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. And so we read in Acts 2, Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And as it goes on, we see God moving through this band of believers who before this, I don't know how to say it, were just a bumbling bunch of, not idiots, I don't want to say idiots, but just, just people like us, people with issues, people with fear of man, not learned many of them, not learned men. And yet we see a few chapters later, they're turning the world upside down. That's what we need today. It would have been amazing 
to be in that upper room at this extraordinary moment in history. Yet, in a sense, like I said earlier, I think we can place ourselves where they were now. I believe we're facing, at least in this country, soon what they were about to face. And I believe God is calling us, his church, into the same calling. It's always been there. We just haven't walked in it in the way God has called us to. We haven't believed him enough, I don't think, to do above and beyond what we know to ask or think. And, and he's calling us to look to him expectantly. What if every church, every group of believers would set themselves into this very scenario that we see here in the book of Acts? What would happen? Well, church would be a place where God's presence was realized. Church would be a place where our wills would be laid down for the will of God. Church would be a place of listening and discernment. It would be a place where scripture teaches us, where we obey. It would be a place of empowerment, physical, spiritual healing. It would be a place of building relationships, serving one another, a place of encouragement, a place of accountability, a place of true disciple, a place of making disciples. It would be a launching pad for the gospel. Every time we went out of this building, We'd go out energized, full of the Holy Spirit, ready to go out and expect God to use us. Just like they did. And we'd see miracles. We'd hear testimonies. We'd come back just like they did and rejoice about what God did all week. And we do that somewhat, don't we? Man, God wants to do so much more. And he's looking from heaven to see, is anyone down there God expecting? Are they looking to me? Are they believing me like this? I think the biggest mistake for a lot of us, we've stopped expecting. We've stopped expecting. We do know when the Spirit came, these waiting saints were prepared and ready. And like I said, within a few weeks, they turned the world upside down. So I'm going to finish today with one more story. The name of this book is interesting. Anointed for the End Time Harvest. Isn't that interesting? His ways are different from ours. God never repeats himself nor duplicates his ways. Every flower is different. No two sunrises or sunsets are the same. Nothing in nature is identical, and so it is with the awesome ways of God. Sorry. Here we go. I'm going to start back here. So he's in another city here, okay? And he's talking about a, a meeting they scheduled. He said, two days later, we scheduled another meeting in the largest stadium of the city with a capacity of 62,000 people. So a reporter's asking him, how can you have a meeting without any advertisement? Who's gonna tell the people? I told him the wind of the spirit would tell them. The night of the meeting came, and as a courtesy, the city had sent a police vehicle to escort me. The closer we came to the stadium, the more concerned I became. I thought we had made a big mistake. I was sure we had scheduled a meeting the same night there was a football game. In my mind, I saw a small company of people waiting for me to arrive outside the stadium, while inside, the masses were cheering for their favorite team. Blocks away, the traffic was jammed. Even the police car could not get through. We finally arrived at the stadium on foot, only discovering that there was no mistake. There were 100,000 people waiting for us. The bleachers were all packed as well as the whole football field and track. All the four blocks surrounding the stadium were crammed with people wanting to get in. They were singing the simple song, I have a friend that loves me, his name is Jesus a song one of my team members had taught the multitude. 
After the message, the miracles began to flow all around the stadium. Hats began to fly. Shirts went up in the air. We would ask, what is it? They would pass the word. It was a cancer. It was a tumor. We attempted to bring the heel to the platform. The place was so packed, they had to roll them over the heads of the multitude to the front. I was afraid someone would be killed in the process. We prayed, we wept for joy. The stadium shook as the crowds yelled, Jesus is Lord! Is God able to do all of this without any preparation, paid advertisement, campaign strategy? Isn't he the creator of heaven and earth? Did not this world come into existence by his word? Again, who are you hanging out with? We need to re-examine our faith in him, our concept of his greatness. We need to understand that his deeds are marvelous. He takes pleasure in displaying his strength so his name will be known throughout all the earth. God is in the business of saving the perishing and of reaching the lost. Will we dare believe him? Will we dare believe him? Will we be faithful in obeying him? Will we go out in his name? Or are we just satisfied to talk about the great deeds of others and to look at those things with a sense of longing rather than becoming the witnesses and the instruments so he can in turn do them again? Wasn't there a song that we were saying that was kind of saying that? You did it once, you can do it again, something like that. I want to have a time today, as I was preparing this message, I wanted to have a time of response and prayer this morning. And I want to pray. I want to pray for some of you. You need, you need an anointing from God. And you know what that's for. You know what you're dealing with, where maybe you feel like you just don't have what you need. Whether it's being a mom, whatever it is, whatever area you are lacking in, whether it's you, you, you go to share with someone and your mouth just shuts and you, you're overcome with fear, God wants to touch your life today. He wants to give you what you don't have in yourself, but you have to expect, you have to believe that he's going to give you what you need. It's really going to be according to your faith. And so I'm going to ask Josh and them to come, and we're going to worship again, and I want us to have a time of prayer, okay, and response to the Lord. But before we do that, um, well, you guys can come now. The greatest miracle is when God saves a soul. And so I don't ever, ever want to miss an opportunity for someone that might be here that hears stuff like this and, and maybe there's something in you saying, is, could this be real? Maybe you've dealt with addiction your whole life, uh, depression, uh, whatever it might be in your life, just hopelessness, it's just not real to you. God's not real to you, but you're here today. And, well, maybe he's been speaking to you, but you know you're not where you need to be. You don't know him. You haven't come into a relationship with him. If you were to stand before him today, right now, you don't know where you would be, or maybe you do know where you would be. Well, God's greatest miracle is salvation. Don't ask me how he made it real to me. Don't ask me how he opened up my understanding. Don't ask me how that light somehow pierced my darkness, but it was a miracle. And I believe that same God is here today. That same God died for you on a cross. That same God, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He could make you brand new. He could wipe your slate clean. He could cause you like Paul to say, such were some of us, we were this, but now I am that. And he is able to make all things new. Trust me. Trust me. 
I don't care what your life has been. I don't care what family background you came from. I don't care what your experience has been prior today. God can make everything new. That's what the gospel does. That is the hope of the gospel. But you have to respond. You have to see your need. You have to believe him. And if God is creating that faith in you, if there's something in you, for the first time maybe, or it's just more real today, I know this is true. I know this is true. I want what this man is talking about. I need what God did to me. I want to know that he's real. I want him to come into my life. He's here for you today. And I don't doubt his ability to utterly save your soul. So if there's someone here, I'm going to ask us to stand.